Hello, my fellow Brappentonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is the holy hand grenade of Her Majesty's Merriment, Mr. Shaheen Alvandi. It is I, Shaheen, the Shah. And he shall count to three, shall be the number before throwing thy holy hand grenade. It shall not be one or two. <laughs> now shall it be one, two, three, four. It shall be one, two, three. <laughs> three shall be the number. What is your cat doing, man? What did you feed her? Oh, my goodness. I don't know what's going on. She's running around with the microphone Velcro thing, the cable, and she's just having a feel. I've never seen a cat so excited in my life. Like, it's it's a little Velcro band that holds the microphone wire together, and I could watch this all day if you let me. Yeah. She's living her best life. Today's show brought to you by Coda Kitty again. And her best life. And her best life. So this is this is our number three of our marathon here. What um, I haven't seen you in like weeks? What are you talking about? I know, right? So for our listeners, if you're if you're keeping pace with the show, it's been a week since we last talked to you. But in reality, it's been probably thirty minutes in this timeline. <laughs> in our in our prime timeline, it's been like fifteen minutes where we stuffed some Hawaiian food in our face. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm at that comfortable full. Like I could I could eat more. Oh, I'm not at the company. But I would be really fucked up if I ate more. I went past the tipping point. As my buddy Tamara would say, I'm in a very happy place right now. Yeah. 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 If you're binge watching or binge watching. <laughs> if you're binge watching me, I have a lot of questions or, for you. Listen, stop. For starters, stop. Two, you probably work for the government. So stop. And you're welcome. That is a lot of hairy ass to look at. Yeah. Um, yeah, we are we are just cranking out some shows for you guys here. Um, trying to catch us back up. This show is going to be a little bit more newsy. A little floozy newsy. Um, when news breaks, we fix it. That yeah, used to be got, the old uh, motto from some show. We've got a couple uh, items I'd like for us to talk about, Shaheen. But first, uh, we, we dumped out of it on the last show. We edited it out. So I want to talk to you about something that's in my garage. Oh. And then yes. before we get to that, I want to tell you how I got to it. I can't believe I'm excited about that thing in your garage. I don't know why I'm excited about it. It's, it's, yeah. so, it's shiny and it smells nice. Yeah. I have a very super sweet pearl white I mean, it is Pearl Honda Goldwing Tour. I have named Snow White because it came up during the snowstorm, and I oh. rode it out during the snowstorm. Nice. <clears throat> so it's it's Snow White now. How long are you and Snow White going to be uh, friends together? Uh, two, three months, maybe. I don't know. I really don't think I'm going to give it back to Honda. Do you think? Do you think we can somehow mic ourselves up and do maybe like a brap talk episode while riding two up on that thing? absolutely oh my god all right absolutely. that's what i want i want a honda gullwing brap talk maybe what we can do is however long it takes us to go around mount hood like Ooh. 26 35 oh. 84 or 14 that's a long ass ride that's a that is a yeah maybe maybe not the whole thing maybe once we get to the mountain maybe out to the dowels and back right <clears throat> go out to hood river that would be awesome yeah go through the gorge that could be good um it's got a heated seat so it's comfy in the back the whole the, the passenger and I was gonna say driver because it's like a car. I mean, it's the size of a fucking Mazda Miata. Man. It's the cheapest Accord in the lineup. <laughs> it is probably the best outfitted Accord in the lineup. It's got <laughs> reverse. It's got reverse. The reverse is pretty sweet. Uh, yeah, the, the Goldwing's <laughs> a fun bike. Well, I think we'll be talking about it a bit on the show because it's 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 an interesting machine, and I'm having. I've only had it for a short amount of time. I obviously, I went to the press launch in Austin for a couple of years ago. I, I want to. Ago. I'm gonna give you a slow clap. For riding it to the one show? Dude. When it was snowing a bit? This is what we didn't bring up in the last episode, and I, and I meant to. 
there was like no bikes in the parking lot. I saw, I think, two Husqvarna's, a BMW, and a KTM at one point. Yeah, when I left on Sunday, I saw like maybe seven, ten bikes total. Yep. To be fair, we had that snow worry, and the roads were a little questionable. They were fine once you got on them, but I could see how like all someone, the side roads were all iced over. Yeah, there. I could see how someone would be like, "I ain't riding my bike today." Mm-hmm. But I do think it's of note that there was very few motorcycles, but the Goldwing was there, which is great. Snow um, light. Before we get too far into it, I should tell you how I got the Goldwing. How did you get the Goldwing? So I had to go back to SoCal for the Honda Super Cub launch. I remember this because I was hoping you were going to come home with two Super Cubs. Yeah, I hosed you on that one. Sorry about that. That's okay. I mean, there's a comfortable rear seat on that thing. I know on your the, lady thinks she's going to say, no, no, well, that too, but no, I'm no, talking there about the isn't. That's the thing. It's a oh. single-seater. Well, that's why we needed two of we them. We should talk about that because that's that's a thing. Is the Grom a two-seater? Yes. What? Yeah. That just went super high pitch on you. Yeah. So, so funny thing with the Super Cub. So, first of all, like probably the most like iconic motorcycle ever. It's definitely, it's the mo- definitely the best selling. They've sold a hundred million of these little bastards. Jeez. 1958, 59, something like that. 59. <clears throat> yeah, because this is this is the anniversary. Oh, this is the 60th anniversary for our American Honda. So I should know how many years the Super Cub has been out, but just about as long. Um, but in most markets, it was sold as a single seater. And then they would put like a, a luggage rack on the back. And in a lot of markets, you can just put a pillow on top of that. Right. And that's totally legal. <laughs> so the U.S., it was sold as a two-seater. And it was sold as a two-seater in a couple other markets. But it really is a single-seater by design. And so the new model is is a single-seater. And you look at it, and it has like the mounting points where you could put like a seat if you wanted to. But Honda has like zero plans of doing that. So the aftermarket's going to have to do it. Interesting. And I don't know... I feel like DMV would get angry about that. But. So, like, can we maybe plan a ride to, I don't know, Aspen, Colorado together? Absolutely. We're here. <laughs> Bring your Samsonite luggage. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It was a little too soon after the press launch to bring back two Super Cubs for you, Shane. So, I, no. I got a Goldwing. I figured that'd, okay. be, that'd do it for well, you. Well, the, the Goldwing's got the comfy rear seat. So, I'm, I'm, I know your lady's probably thinking she's going to get a ride on there, but I called dibs. No, oh, yeah, no. It's just like a big I bet a little wheelie with me sitting back there. So I thought we were getting the DCT version and I ended up getting the manual, which means, you know, just pop that clutch. Hell yeah. Kick At in. the very least, like nasty burnouts. Oh, by the way, our listeners have voted and we're going to start like there's wheelie Wednesday on Instagram. Yeah. I've created burnout Saturday. Oh, wow. Because you had a, there was a picture of the hyper doing a burnout. Yeah. And it's like, is Burnout Saturday a thing? Let's make it a thing. Make it a thing. So we're going to have to start doing Burnout Saturday. Yep. Boom. We're going to internet meme the shit out of that. Yeah, we are. So interesting to see that the Honda Super Cup's coming back to the US. It's been a long time. I'm excited about it. I've seen one on the road already. I guess they're out. Yeah. Yeah, Coming to your neighborhood. Really? Mm -hmm. That's the thing. I think that is the quintessential Portland bike. I was telling them at the Monkey launch. Actually, I think the Monkey would do well here too. But I feel like the Super Cup is like going to be the perfect millennial urban bike it's got an auto clutch mm-hmm. so you don't need to dick around with that so you mm-hmm. can do stuff with your left hand like moto jousting <laughs> yeah uh yeah um so it, it frees you up i think it makes it a little bit more approachable to to riding uh it'll do 60 it takes a while That's to impressive. get impressive gets to 45 pretty quick it takes a while to get to 60 
That's, I mean, but for inner city streets, what what do you need anything over 45, really? Portland freeways that are at 50, 55. Fuck, people still go 45. They still go 45. Uh, It'd be fine. I may have honked a couple of people on the way here. Yeah. Um, it looks really good. I like I like the way it looks. It looks, I think they nailed the design. I like the headlight. I like that LED, but like sort of quasi old school looking thing. Yeah. It's a good looking little scooter bike thingy. I, I like it. Yeah. And I think it's got a really authentic story. I don't. There's cheaper scooters on the market. I was having this discussion with a with a person earlier today in the industry, and they're like, "Oh, you know, it's you shouldn't compare it to a Vespa. You should compare it to this instead." And I was like, "No, I think it's just like the Vespa because the Vespa has a story. It right. has some authentic. Like, there's a reason you're going to go buy a Vespa and not like a Honda Metro, right? Or a Yamaha, you know, Zuma C3 or whatever. They yeah, have. something you know, just just utilitarian. Right. Uh, even the Ruckus has a little bit more of a story. You probably buy a. a- Kimco people first. Right, exactly. Uh, or just anything made in China. Um, <laughs> no, because there's just there's just a flood of cheap Chinese scooters that have a that BMW kind of look. GT650 or whatever they're called. That's a Kimco. Scrambler 400. Oh, wait, wait, Snap, drink. Oh, burns. <laughs> Scary Scrambler. Is that a Ducati burn. reference in the scooter world? Yeah. See how I did that? Well, I need a little whiskey. Yeah. Um, but I think for someone that wants a little bit more of a story, wants something that kind of ties back to that history, I think there's something there. And it's like 3200 bucks. That is really not bad. It's not Considering bad. like e-bicycles cost more than that. So that's the thing. So when I did my little spec sheet comparison, I had it against the, the Vespa Primavera, which okay. is considerably more, but it's made out of metal. It's made in Italy. It's very authentic Italian. Do you then, eat the Vespa Primavera uh, al dente or... Well, it depends. Are you in northern Italy, southern Italy? A little Italy? cheese on top of yeah, it. La parmigiana. Like the Vesta Primavera. Yeah, you ride the scooter down to the Coliseum. It's a good time. <laughs> Watch the football. Watch the football. I kick the ball, you kick the ball, somebody win. I push very hard. I push and I push and I push and I drink whiskey. But yeah, I did compare it to... Um, what's the... An e-bike? The e-bikes that you see around here in Portland that have kind of like the flat back, yeah, yeah. Where you put like, I always see it with like five kids on it. You know, like <laughs> it it's like seems some, like some, it shouldn't be legal, but some here we Portland are. hipster mom of her five toddlers on the back, and it's got like the e-assist, and those things are like almost five grand. Yeah, and I really do think those are going to start infringing on the scooter space, the small motorcycle space, because. I mean, well, you don't need a license to ride those. You don't need to have a license. You can park it anywhere, and you can haul five kids without really breaking a sweat. That is makes the a lot Cub a one twenty-five? What's that? This is the Cub? Yes, uh, it's a one twenty-five. It shares. So then you a, need a driver. You need a motorcycle. You license. need a motorcycle license yeah. to, to ride it. It shares an engine with the Grom and the Monkey, although it's slightly different in the sense because it has the auto clutch. The Grom has a siding glass for the oil and is geared. Well, I shouldn't say it's geared. Well, it is geared differently because. The Grom has like a standard shift pattern, whereas this is all the way down is neutral, and then you go up into first, second, third, fourth. Like an old school scooter, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's got that rocker back and I forth. I wish the shifter was on the left handle. Yeah. Like, a, be, like an old Vespa two-stroke. Yeah, that'd be interesting. That'd, that'd be, be good. Um, free up your foot. I don't know. I, I go back and forth on that. Maybe not. Mm. Interesting thought. <laughs> but it's interesting because I got to ride the Grom right afterwards. And it feels so much more sporty and fast. <laughs> and you realize the difference is because of the wheel diameter. Yeah. Because that Grom has got like little 12 inch wheels. Those little wheels are working their asses off, man. Yeah. And the, the, often you have to replace the bearings like in those wheels. Yeah. So you're like, it's like just funny to see, like, because it's got, it's got just a touch over nine horsepower or just a touch under nine horsepower. 
So like the actual like the wheel size actually makes a pretty significant change in top speed and, <laughs> and acceleration. And you're like, oh, that's weird. But it's good. It gets you around. We went through downtown Torrance, uh, out to Manhattan Beach, Redondo nice. Beach. We got a police escort down the Redondo Beach boardwalk, which was pretty rad. That's cool. Um, so yeah, we had a lot of fun. It's a it's a cute little bike. I could see it as a great pit bike, a great little grocery getter. Um, it was funny seeing like the comments on on the side. They're like, "Do you think uh, do you think my wife would like it? My six foot two hundred eighty pound wife would like it." And I'm like, yeah, you want to buy this for yourself. You want she sounds like a handsome woman. You, you don't need a lot of an excuse to be like, I want to put one of these in my garage. Just say I want one. Everybody in the motorcycling world goes, fuck yeah, I want one too. Yeah, I get one. It's the it's come in. It's like what other motorcycle has sold that many uh units? Huh, unit. None. I mean, that's the thing, it has such a history. I want one. I it's, hope it comes in like baby blue. So for those who don't know, this is the bike that literally started the you meet the nicest people on a honda just huge game changer Hell yeah, for man. the american motorcycle industry yeah because i mean before that it was basically motorcyclists were known as like hooligan outlaws who had just come back from vietnam and yeah. yeah one percenters yeah so it does it's, I mean, it's not quite light blue shaheen but that's a blue and white and the Listen, red if it comes in white and red as it should i'll be really happy so the funny thing is the the red with the seat yeah. is is kind of a thing so when that first came out they did like all these kind of like earthy kind of colors, but they they matched the seat to the the paint. Okay, or I think it was I think no, it was the seat was white, and then Mister Honda had like this red shirt on, and he's looking at it, and he's standing over the bike, and the the seat's picking up the red huh. from his shirt. Right, and they're like, oh yeah, we need to put we need to put that's some color the color in we this. need to go with. So now it's red. So that's why the seat on the new one's red as well. Okay, so that's a fun little little factoid for you. I I, I really truly think that the original Super Cub is what kind of helped move you know motorcycling in a very specific direction in america you started seeing things like the ducati scramblers and you know seeing a business person on an advert back in the day in a magazine like a life magazine writing a super cub or a ducati or a suzuki it became a thing yeah and now you were nice respectable people riding motorcycles not just you know badass tattooed up people you're not a one percenter anymore well they were smart too when they sold it like it wasn't like they were selling it in motorcycle dealerships. They did a really good job of like selling it in like sporting good places. Yeah, like Sears and Roebuck. Yeah, Sears, Big Five. I mean, I don't know if with the old school version of Big Five sporting goods would have been, but something like that where it's like, let's get it out of the, let's get it into the mainstream. Let's make this approachable. This isn't going to be like your typical dealership experience. We should put this like where people buy things like this. Right. Um, and I think there's... There's a strategy to that now that can kind of sit there and like, that's kind of a good idea if we could only do that here. I know state regulations kind of make that difficult because they have so many requirements that, like, if you sell a motor vehicle that can be licensed for the street, there's certain criteria your your place of business has to adhere to. And one of those is, like, the door size. Like, you need to have a, you know, like a 14-foot wide door. I'm not, not quite sure on the measurement, but it's significantly larger than what most doors would be. And it's because you need to be able to get the bikes in. Now that was one of the big issues when oh, Bramo were big people in America. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, it, but like that was one of the issues when Bramo was trying to do that best buy distribution right. strategy. Yeah. They ran into that. They were like, well, no, you have to have a certain size door and best buy stores, even with their double doors don't have that. And that was like one of these, like it was like a deal stopper. It was like, did no one check to see what like the requirements were, where like there's no best buy store that's going to actually meet the dealership requirements because of the size restriction. I, it's weird. I have so many questions in my head as to what the fuck. That's pretty much what they all come down to. The Brama thing? No, no, the size of the door thing, the 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 oh. dealership, you know, 
the dealership model, so to speak. Because yeah, you go to I Europe and like go to Barcelona and go to any motorcycle dealership. It's sitting in the basement of a building that people live on top of. And it's got like a door just wide enough for the handlebars to fit through. Maybe. Well, they also got 20% unemployment. So there's that. On paper. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know quite what the thinking is on that, to be honest. Um, That's the trick to having more people employed. Wider doors. Wider doors. Get on it, Spain. Make doors wide again. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we suck. Oh, zinger. All right. Um, yeah, so it was a cool, it was a cool ride. Um, I dig it. I, I dig, dig it too. It. I, dig I wonder it. if Honda has that has that phrase trademark. Can they use it again? Yeah, probably. Because I believe it was the second to last show where I said it'd be hilarious if Harley stole that. Right. Because they're going towards that whole scooter, right. electric right. scooter thing. Right. You meet the nicest people on a Harley. Wait a minute. Well, that's the question now. So when's the electric cub going to show up? Because that's that's very much Any a thing. Now. It's got to be the next thing. It's got to be the next thing that comes out for the U.S. market. I feel like that's a 2020 thing for sure. I mean, they're going to keep pushing the internal combustion motor until we're out of every drip of resource. But... I don't know. I think I think the electric thing might be next. It's got to be the next thing, especially electric cub. It's got the looks. And, you know, there'd be an interesting symmetry there if that kind of helped bring about the electric revolution in the U.S. You know, like, holy if- shit, Honda, zinger, man. You meet the nicest people on an electric cub, an e-cub. Boom. Daddy gets a taste of that. Daddy action. gets five fucking percent. I say it every show. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, good times with Honda running the Super Cub. And then I brought back a Goldwing as a party favor. And we're gonna, I'm going to do a thing where I'm not going to drive my car for a month. I'm just going to ride the Goldwing. Wait, what month are you starting this? I don't know. I got to plan that out because I'm not here like at all during the month of March. It's probably safe. So I'll, probably all April? Yeah, let's do that. I am dying to do the Honda Goldwing episode. That'll happen. I want to go to a wingding rally. Ooh. I want to I want to see what these crazy people are like in person. I want to party how they party. <laughs> I want to drink from the Kool-Aid of whatever turpentine. I'm going to show up just so I can see you there among those people. I want to see you, Jensen Beeler, among the wingding people. Do they wear assless chaps? I want to wear assless chaps. Let's do I, it. Listen, first of all, all chaps are assless. <laughs> Second of all, yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, I remember doing the launch in Austin, and they had one or two guys that were doing like the just like there's a Goldwing magazine apparently. And that's like, I don't know what you talk about in it. You know, the, the models only get revised work. every 15 years. So like, what are you talking about in between those? In today's episode, we're going to talk about the right side of the bike buttons. <laughs> <laughs> CB radios and what they mean for you. Wait, is that still a thing on them? Dude, there's like a, there's like a add on you can do. They got rid of it as like a standard feature. Oh, but like, cause everyone's on Bluetooth now. Cause like everyone's young now. Yeah. They, they so like, what is what is the average buyer age of going? Have they talked about this? Um, it's like the same average age as the Republican Party. Um, so yeah, like no, it's, it's, it's an older gentleman. Yeah, gentleman, not a gentle person. It's generally a a man. It is a, I mean, physically it's large, but the seat height's not that high, and the center of gravity is super low on there. So I actually think my female friend riders would be very comfortable on that bike. Uh, yeah, it's not bad. It's it's pretty low. It is heavy. Like I I got a little tripped out. Uh, every time I come to a stop, because you're just like, man, like, how many degrees of lean are you comfortable with? Because that thing, once it hits like 10 degrees over, it's done. You're not saving it. No, because it weighs like 800 plus. Well, the old uh, one's it's lighter. It's 780, I okay, think. So it's, the new one's lost a little weight. Now, I remember on the old GL 1800, Going had done a thing where 
they made a point that a 12-year-old girl could pick that bike up from its side just because the center of gravity is done so perfectly so that even if it falls over and it just doesn't really fall over that far because of the way the engines stick out and it's got little guards on the back and front of the bike. Yeah, but I mean, like, who's going to pay for her hernia operation? Because, like, I don't think I could pick it up without... Oh, she's young. There's no hernia operation. She just bounces back up. Can we do that test? Can we put the bike on its side and pick it up? I'd have to look. It does have these, like, metal little bumpers. Right. And if you take the plastic off, they wouldn't hurt those. I mean, we'll just do it in the grass. I don't know. I feel like we should definitely not talk about it on the podcast. We will definitely not take that bike to a dirt track in Salem and go sideways on it. 787 pounds dry. Or, sorry, wet. That's pretty good. That's wet? Yeah, they wow. drop like 90 pounds off the damn thing. How much fuel is it? 5.5. But it gets more because now it's a six-speed. It has an overdrive. Oh. So it, get, it has the same range as the previous model, but it does have a smaller fuel tank, which is like, to me, I don't give a fuck because that's still like, let's do the math. They're, they're quoting 42 miles to the gallon. They're saying it's a 5.55 tank. So 233 miles to a tank. After 233 miles, after like three, four hours on a bike, Dude, after I need to get up and stretch. Yeah, after 100 plus miles on a bike, I, I've, yeah. I've got iron butt badges and I still want to get the hell off the bike. Yeah, so I'm cool with that. What I'm not cool with, and I've said this before, the luggage space is really limited. Yes, let's talk about this luggage space. It First is. of all, I think the trunk and the side luggage, whatever the hell they are, they're not saddlebags. What are they? Panniers. Panniers? Are they really panniers? They're just kind Slide of- boxes. Whatever. Luggage. They have one of the most satisfying opening of any motorcycle compartment I've ever used. Like you just press that little electronic release button and it just goes like it almost makes like a sound and it opens and it's got hydraulic assist and it opens all the way, which is a far cry from how it closes because it feels kind of chintzy. The the close is not good. And then you slam it like three times. (laughs) Yeah, you got to like kick its ass. Someone's trying to explain to me like, well, there's a very particular way you close it. I'm like, no, no, no. You close it like you close anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Close it. The whole luggage thing, it's, I, Honda's line seems to be, well, there's a very specific way you do that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I should be able to do it any way I want. There's definitely this one of those. This is America. <laughs> this is a gold wing. <laughs> I should be able to do it any way I want. And 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 just, you know, my Does country is a doesn't have a couple. I need to get what a cup holder. What the fuck? Holder. I need to get a cup holder. You got to get it. Where else are you going to put your Route 44 drink? That's a Sonic uh, reference for you. 44 ounce drink. Call the Route 44. I want to do the, the 7-Eleven 64-ounce Big Gold. Holy shit. Mountain Dew. That's how you get across the country, sir. <laughs> I cannot wait for this next ride that you and I do together, and we'd record the whole thing. Horrible. Um, no, yeah. The luggage is small. So I rode it to the one show, um, brought like a jacket to change into, and had like my big Dainese D-Air jacket on, which is pretty bulky. And I got there and I'm thinking, I didn't really think twice about it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be great because um, I had my camera gear. And I, I was like, okay, so I'll put the camera gear in the bag and my jacket in the bat in the in the bike, and then I'll get me there. And then when I get there, I'll pull that stuff out and I'll put my helmet and my riding jacket in the bike, and I'll be able to walk around the show. And that's a reasonable and, and thought for a bike with all all that kind of storage. So my jacket doesn't fit in any of the side boxes, but it fits in the top box. But then where does the helmet go? But then the helmet doesn't fit in the side boxes. And as we learned in my garage earlier, it is very difficult to fit two helmets in that top box. And that yeah. all that all just means feels like a big miss to me. It's and and Honda goes out of their way to tell you that it's a two helmet. They made such back a back box. There was such a big back and forth of the launch for this. So maybe they meant like a three quarter helmet. They said two full size, sorry, sorry, two full face helmets. 
And as and we even discovered, small ones, extra small sizes. We we did get it to close with two helmets, didn't we? Um, no, we got it to close with one showy helmet. We got it. We got it to almost close with two Arise two Corsairs. But the Arise have the little vents on the top, and they got in the way. And you could tell like, we were like. A we were, not even a quarter of an inch out of the way. I bet we could have slammed it and something would have broken, but it still would have closed. Yep, something would have broken. It probably wouldn't have sealed all the way, so water would have gotten in. But that was further than than I had gotten before because I'd never actually been able to fit two helmets inside, even with the lid open. Well, we tried a bell and a showy, and there was no way those were going to fit in together. Those were not going in, no. But two Arise, we kind of slid them gen- gently. Early. And then it was really fit. close with an Arai and a... Was that the showy? That was the showy. Very close to the showy. Hey, you could basically only, fit two Arise, and you you are an, a large. A large. So never mind an extra large like my giant, because that's a different shell usually. No, yeah. Um, so you can fit two Arise and a glove in there. Maybe if if they weren't if they weren't quantum, right? Or sorry, and if they weren't Corsairs, maybe if they were <laughs> Quantums or Signets, right? That could work. Maybe, maybe. But like you sit there and just like. Guys would really have killed you just to make this a little bit bigger. Literally, like a quarter inch taller. That's all you yeah. had to do, and, and yeah. a regular helmet would fit in there. And and what does that get you? What did that get you? Did you save, like, if you had made that another, let's say, cubic foot of space, would that really have added Yeah, anything? for as big as that bike is, you wouldn't even notice. The bike is so long. It's so long. Like, it really wouldn't change the price. But you're not going to make it any heavier. Maybe it rounds up to an even 790 pounds. I don't know. Like... It's funny because in your garage you have your Husky, your R1, and your Super uh, Street, Street Fighter. Fighter. Those bikes, the three of them together, look like they would maybe be about the same size as that bike. Yeah. The only reason that Gullwing doesn't look so huge in there is because you have a massive Forerunner parked in there too. Yeah. And that's the only thing that makes the Gullwing look like a regular motorcycle. That being said, I've ridden the previous generation and it's even like so much bigger. It is. It is so much bigger. So this one felt sportier. It felt a little more like a Gullwing went on a diet. It had the six pack diet and it worked on it. It rides really well. Like you can get you can get on her. She she moves. That no flat got six is, is is very linear. It's got a really really torquey, makes good power. What I like about it is, uh, uh, I literally barely didn't get pulled over on it because uh, I had a guy behind me. He was trying to get through traffic just a little bit more aggressively than I was trying to get through traffic. <laughs> And then uh, Oregon State Trooper pulls up Woo. and whips the lights up on him instead of me. Woo. But you can you can get going on that. And what I love about it is you can be in sixth gear, be like, oh, I need to pass, and just give it a little a little little throttle, and it picks right up like that. That torque curve, just any gear, pick a gear, any gear, we'll pass that truck. No, problem. that's awesome. So that's the that's the advantage of that big eighteen hundred engine, which is physically a lot smaller than the old one. Um, I noticed uh, at least thirty percent less buttons. A lot less buttons. Is that, is that because you have a lower version, or is that just no. how they come? No, no, no. It is. There's a dramatically fewer buttons, mostly because they got rid of the CB radio as a stock feature. <laughs> um, but well, I noticed the knob in the middle. I feel like the knob is probably multifunctional. Yeah, there's the multifunction thing. There's just there's menus. It's a little bit submenus and subcategories in the menus. Yeah, and it's file like having like a button for every freaking thing under the moon. Is it a touchscreen? No. Oh, I bet that would have made things a little easier. Yeah, it might have been. But they were like really weird about because there's certain things. There's like a center dash of buttons that kind of stop working at once you get moving oh, because okay. they have it on the on the hand control too, and that's purely to keep you from trying to dick around with the center console. I did notice a lot of which is why they controls. don't want you to dick around with the screen. Right. They're trying to save you from yourself. Yeah, but the thumb, like I noticed at least on the left side, 
there were easily one, two, I thought three, I saw three sets of thumb controls. Yeah. Like there was a menu There's thing, a there was a volume thing, there was a weird joystick thing. Then you got the reverse thing. Reverse thing. On the right side, I pretty much only saw on, off, and then cruise control. Yeah, the cru- I don't like that the cruise control are on the right-hand side. Yeah. That's really hard to like keep a steady throttle and engage the cruise control. Yeah, you control. really got to kind of hold the throttle with your fingers and then... Yeah. So, but overall, I think it's it's pretty pretty well done. I got a lot of got a lot of looks. Got a lot of people coming up and talking to me about it. I think I surprised some people. Yeah, I don't look like a Goldwing dude. I, I feel like if you grew your beard out, yeah, because it's got some grays in it, and I feel like you would get some more patches on my jacket. Hell, I'm gonna get you a vest. Oh my god, I'm gonna buy you a vest. Walk around with a Goldwing attitude. Yeah, oh, yeah, I need a leather vest. Is there? There's got to be a Goldwing club in in the area. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, there is. The winglets. I don't know what they're called. I'm just making this up. The wing, ooh, winglets, pretty good. <laughs> that's the, that's, that'd be a good one. We should yeah. start that one. The winglets. For the two, three months you have this thing, you're going to start a club. Um, there's going to be like Forrest Gump running through the, the, for the country, and then you're just going to stop because you have to give the bike up, and people are going to be so disappointed. I think there's an abate chapter I could probably go hang out with. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm sure uh, Shaheen and I will get some fun time on the, on the Goldwing. I'm excited. We'll I'm excited back. for some Goldwing time. Um, you gonna bring it to PIR and do a track day on it? Just at least one like not mellow lap in a way that I would confirm on a podcast when the press people are listening. <laughs> what if? Well, let's put it this way, Shaheen. When they found I did uh, a two up with on the CB, it would it did not go over so well. No one said like <laughs> no one like really came out and said like Jensen that was that is unacceptable, sir. Wait, didn't the CB have a back seat and rear pegs? My hands are up as well. I think it's because well. it was at a track that they weren't too happy about it. You were giving someone a ride. There's some there's some issues with liability with that. Maybe it, I wouldn't say it was. I I would say they were very diplomatic and polite about their displeasure of that. Let's put a, let's put it that way. So the time that you may or may not have pushed me down, pushed me forward. I want to know where you're going with this. And at the front straight at at the ridge when I was riding the little Vitpolin. No, I was on a bike that I owned. When I did that, oh. I was definitely not on a press bike. Can you start doing your stunts on press bikes, please? <laughs> like, I feel like this should be like asphalt and rubber with a hint of umami. Listen, what happens <laughs> at the track day stays at the track day. This is uh, like on a Vegas podcast, motherfucker. Here. We talk about things. Oh my gosh. This isn't like a therapy <laughs> session. I don't have to talk about everything. <laughs> Tell me about the first time. You're not my real dad. Tell me about the first time Yamaha yelled at you. <laughs> show me, show me on the doll where they touched. Show me on this gold wing where Honda touched you. Hmm. Hmm. All right, so you got the Goldwing. I just guess MSRP on that nonsense. Oh God! Wait, so you said there's no tiers? Is there just because so there's, be- there's a Goldwing and a Goldwing Tour? So the one with the the back seat, like that, the the, the oh couch, the trunk, the the thing the top in the back. box, yeah, that's the Tour. Okay. Whereas what used to be like the F6B right style, the bagger style, is the Goldwing. It's kind of confusing, but there's so there's just those two. So there is no like Goldwing navigation plus airbag plus. Oh, uh, there's an airbag. There was an airbag. There's a DCT option, and I do believe there's an airbag. All right, model. so I'm going to go ahead and say the probably the most expensive one, which would be the DCT plus airbag, is uh, twenty seven eight. Um, I'm looking for it. I didn't have that quite figured out. No, it can't be that. But much. the Goldwing Tour starts at twenty seven thousand. Fuck, really? Yeah, dude. Dude, they used to start at like tw- like nineteen. Well, so the base model Goldwing starts at twenty three eight. That's still more. So you're gonna pay a, a, a grip to put some. Sh- Holy stuff shit! On it. The Goldwing is officially more expensive than a Harley uh, Road Glide, which is 
Yeah. So yeah. So Goldwing twenty three eight, Goldwing DCT twenty five thousand, Goldwing Tour twenty seven thousand, Goldwing Tour with DCT twenty eight thousand, Goldwing Tour with DCT and an airbag. Thirty-one thousand eight hundred motherfucking dollars. My jaws on the floor. You can get a sweet Honda Accord for that. That is still better price than a sweet Honda Accord, though, and faster, and probably more handsome, and more efficient. Forty-two miles to the gallon. I don't know, but Honda, less. What, what you, how many miles to the gallon do you think protection. a Honda Accord gets? Well, uh, I mean, they have the hybrid, so that probably gets better. And then they have the four-cylinder. Uh, this this is thirty to thirty city, thirty-eight highway. Goldwing three Accord zero. That's not bad. Game match. That's not bad. Of course, it also has like two hundred fifty horsepower. Plus, you got some bright LED headlights on that thing. I noticed that when we fired yeah, it up. It looks good. You could start forest fires with that. Yeah, thing. you could. It's great. Like you get right up on a slow moving Portlandian driver, just give them the beams. Oh man, I really am so excited to go on a ride on this thing because I want to see how it handles. Is the suspension electronic? Yeah. All right, so we're gonna have to really pump that thing up. Pump it up. Just pump, pump it up. Yeah, you just click buttons. We're gonna press all the buttons. buttons that gives it all the preload. I don't think that I don't think that preload had us in mind. Well, maybe it did. Honda Goldwing. That seat is very wide. That, that seat passenger is so seat wide. and the rider seat are I, very wide. They look like they were designed to take some girth, if you know what I'm saying. All I'm saying is Goldwing ride, some ZZ top music. I went to my first Golden Corral in my entire life. <laughs> And I feel like there's some there was some Goldwing riders at the Golden Corral. Can we start the Goldwing Corral? Ride? Goldwing Corral. I bet we can get that going. Yeah, make it a thing. Hashtag it. Hashtag Goldwing Corral. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So so what's your plans with the Goldwing aside from us doing all these goofy things? Are we moving on from this thing? Is there anything exciting? Um, yeah, I just wanna I like I wanna go do the rally thing. I wanna live the, the Goldwing lifestyle. So one month, no riding, uh, yeah. no cars, no forerunner. Go to a rally, go on a trip, a couple trips, trip or two. Long trip, short trip. All right. Do the thing. Okay. Yeah. I'm excited. I think I think it's the right bike to do that on. It's basically a car with only two wheels on it. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Well, let's see. We're in February. It might. It might. It could do a parade lap at a track day, maybe. Let's put it this way. At no point in the waiver that I signed did it say I couldn't take it on a track. That's your fault, Honda. Yeah. Uh, and I believe uh, that's the Jensen Beeler lawyer speaking right now. And I ain't answering any phone calls from that company for the next three months. So, you phone who this? Call me all you want and complain. It ain't gonna happen. <laughs> what Goldwing? Did we see a picture of the bike on uh, the ridge turn three going sideways? Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. My company's incorporated in Dubai. Come at me, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to my people. My people are Persian and they don't speak English. Come at me, bro. <laughs> um. Wow. Didn't think we were gonna spend that much time. As you are go. the gold beneath my wings. Oh, that's the song lyric I was looking for. I need to figure out how to get the speakers working. I don't know why they're not working. I got it. There's a lot of there's a lot of electronics to figure. Someone needs to send me a manual on that one. I should have gotten I'm, a manual. They, they didn't that. give you a manual. I there feel like it should be, come with a fat book. To be fair, actually, there's some stuff in the pa- in the side box. We should probably that start might reading. Be a manual. I should. I haven't. Truthfully, I really haven't had enough time to explore it. I just got a quick ride on it because I was like, oh, I could go. There's a break in the weather. I could go do it. And then um, that it doesn't have a function where you press a button and you're like manual and it tells you things. In its subcategory. The How modus, to start the bike. The Modus had that, actually. See? Yeah. 
But the Modus was one of the that was one of the cool things about the Modus that it had like the digital manual that sat right there. Yeah, that's 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 smart. I don't understand why other brands haven't gotten on board with that. You got a nice like it's got a big let's call that what six inch TFT screen. Yep, you could totally do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right, we'll 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 revisit the going yeah. after you've put some miles on it. I'm curious to see what you love and what you hate and yeah, what you want to replace on it. I need this freezing ass rain slash snow thing that Portland's doing. Got traction stop. control. Yeah, it does. And probably lean angle sensing like everything. I will say I went through some ice. You know what? Like that's ice on a motorcycle do not mix. Did you pucker a little? No, because I saw it coming. I was pretty prepared for it. But like I was like, yep, yep. My because I had my I was maneuvering the bike at low speed. So my feet down. And I was like, yeah, my foot is slipping right now. My <laughs> foot is slipping. And I'm <sighs> like, good thing I'm straight up and down because I'm just scrambling for traction. So yeah. Uh, moving on, Sheen. I feel like we talked about this, but you said we didn't. The United States is no longer Ducati's largest market. Who is now? Italy. Well, that's nice. A home market. The home market. Wait, how is Italy the largest market? Italy's the size of Florida. Yeah. And they both have a Naples. They, they do both have a Naples. One's nicer. Yeah. No, yeah. Italy sold about 9,200 bikes in 2018. Uh, the U.S. sold about 8,900. No. Is that right? Uh no, even if you're seventy eight hundred. Do you think that's a that's like a um a home team thing where Italy's trying to find some form of rah 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 and they're like this is our bike this is the place that yeah. we should sell it more more of it. It's a little complicated because like Italy, Italy sales Italian sales went up four point five percent last year, mm-hmm. and U.S. sales went down eleven percent. Wow, for, for Ducati, not not market wide, just for Ducati. That's huge. So it's it's a it's a a mixture of the U.S. doing a very poor job and the Italian market kind of bouncing back. So I know Dominicali has sort of spoken about, you know, wanting to start trimming the dealerships a little bit, you know, taking away a handful of, you know, dealerships to bring the, I don't know, maybe the exclusivity or the level of uh, customer care that should be there. Because when you get too much of something, it kind of waters down a little bit. And I wonder if that's something that they already started. Is that why the numbers went down, you think? Or just I think you could come up with a lot of different theories as to why the US market is down. That's um, fair. I think I think a lot of them would be valid. I don't think it's a number of dealers issue. Um I mean, truthfully, like Ducati doesn't do that much marketing here. No. Um, I mean, unless you count movies. The the thing that's interesting to me, I actually did. I got a. I should. I should mention. I got a correction from a Ducati insider when we talked about it last time. Okay. Um, they didn't pay any money for product placement in movies. Really? Yeah. Especially for for chips. Really? Yeah. It's not that I don't believe them, but I don't believe them. Reliable source. Okay. This person would know. I mean, that movie was like, we could quote some of the stuff they said about Ducati, and it sounded like an advertisement. I mean, that doesn't mean that they didn't tell them, hey, you got to make sure you say these lines. But they didn't, That didn't mean that some of the MIC didn't say something. All right. I'm just saying. Wow, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked and just, also impressed. Just saying. Okay. So, so one of the more interesting things that come from this, this Ducati press release about their, their 2018 they were the number one superbike brand in the world, selling 9,700 Panigales. Worldwide. Worldwide. With the caveat, they are calling the 959 a superbike. 
I mean, in their catalog, it is called their super bike. Yeah. I mean, it's a little cheaty. I mean, you got 1100cc bike, you got a, you know, 950cc bike. Right. Not, neither of them are really a thousand. You kind of like average them out to a thousand. <laughs> but even still, like, like for me, it was just more like the Panigale V4 sales just being really strong. And they sold something like six to seven thousand, uh, what is it, 6,100 um, Panigale V4s. Which That's pretty is, which strong. Pretty strong. That's pretty strong. Um, so I think you could argue that the Panigale V4 is crushing it despite the price tag being pretty exorbitant. It's pretty interesting to me. I don't know. It, cr- crunching the numbers, the story's up on Asphalt and Rubber for those that want to crunch the numbers and look at it. But it was very interesting to me to see kind of like what's going on in this space and losing the U.S. market, I think, is a is a big deal. Um, I keep expecting heads to roll at, at Ducati North America, and it doesn't seem to happen. So they must have a really good plan for what they're doing for 2019. You know, I'm I'm scratching my head thinking about Ducati's you know what what their their offerings here in the world but in North America as well and they they seem to just keep adding more of the same bike you know as in the scrambler lineup and and they're really going around and beating down on their dealerships to make sure that there is a specific brand identity and you have a certain look and a certain feel and a certain uh you know customer care level but if they've lost 11% of sales clearly there's something amiss yeah i mean Especially when you consider that the U.S. market only went down. um, It was like three or four percent. It wasn't as much as Ducati. Shaheen, I'm blanking on what the on what the U.S. market did. It's either down four percent or seven percent, and I can't remember which one's which. Um, But either way, add those two numbers together, and you finally get to eleven. So Ducati outpaced the drop in the in the. I'm 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 really bummed out for the company, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. And and their overall sales took about worldwide took about a five percent dip because of it. Huh. Um, you know the U.S. is definitely a big big part of that. When you're only selling about fifty three thousand motorcycles a year, you know a thousand motorcycles in one market makes a big difference in that. Absolutely, it does. So uh, I'll be curious to see what happens for twenty nineteen. Um, I'll be very curious to see what happens in the U.S. market. Well, um, I think. For sure, next year, there's going to be a lot of new stuff that's going to be coming out. And, you know, Ducati making a couple of little sly remarks about, you know, what's going to be the next Pikes Peak uh, race. Street Fighter. Street Fighter. Um, I don't know if that's going to make up for that lack. But I think what Ducati needs to concentrate on is more exciting bikes like the V4 and the Street Fighter and stuff like that. That's that's it's a dream brand, right? It's one of those brands that people want to aspire to. Yeah. And you're not, I don't aspire to own an 800cc scrambler. I don't. It's a cool bike. It's neat that it's there and it's, it's going to make sales, but I think it, I don't know if it's still the case, but I remember the first two years of it being around it, it accounted for more than 50% of their sales. So clearly it's doing something, but there's, there's no money in it. And, and that, that market kind of sizzled away. You know, it's interesting. I should have brought this up in the, the last episode when we talked about the Ducati Hyper Motard 950. And you asked me if I would if I would be adding one to my garage. Right. I mean, I, I don't foresee myself doing that. And it was interesting because, like I said, I, I've been there and I got that T-shirt. Like, I've if I wanted a bike like that again, I would do. That's the bike I would buy. But you know, I've I've been there and I've done that. But I remember talking to someone. I think it was in one of the comments section. And so this was the third generation hyper to come out. Right. And we're talking about like what the fourth generation looks like. And that's 
seven years out, five, seven years out, let's say. And like, you know what? The the fourth generation could be an electric. And that could be really interesting. Like that, like I I guess my my hesitance with owning a 950 is just like it's not really anything that new. You took the old bike, you refined it, you tweaked the aesthetic a little bit. You made you made a lot of really smart changes, but there's nothing there that like it just evolved. Getting me like super excited. Like if I want to go buy one, that's the one I'm gonna buy. But like you're not making me sit there and be like, I want to do that that experience over again because right. it's because now I'm excited about it. And I think you're right with the Panigale V4 where it's an exciting enough bike that it makes you kind of want to do the super bike thing again. It's different enough from the Panigale V twin that you get going about it. But it's the same thing with like the multi shot where like, man, the twelve hundred came out kind of right around when I started in this industry. I want to say it was like two thousand ten. Two thousand ten, yeah. And like what has it turned into? The twelve sixties out now. And you're like it just kept it's, it's continually evolved but it hasn't done anything crazy yeah everybody that i talk to in my in my local club here you, you keep hearing people say when is the v4 multi-stride coming out that's gonna be the next exciting thing i don't think there is gonna be a v4 i don't think so either i haven't seen anything that made me think it's gonna go that way and 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 i'm thinking from you know a touring motorcycle rider's perspective such as myself th- the amount of maintenance required on a v4 that's a lot of shims to adjust man the adjust the the valve adjustment period on the Panigale V4 is a lot bigger and longer than than the standard L twin bike. Maybe I think here's here's here'd be something interesting. Here's something that would make me buy a Ducati. Due to the Panigale V4, what BMW did to the or did with the S one thousand XR. Oh, interesting. And then take it like one step further. Because like the XR was really a response to the Multistrada. Yeah. But take the Multistrada one step down the sportier side. Like I don't necessarily need a tour. I need a day tour. So like so like keep like the Enduro as like the big touring twin and then do like a V4 fire breathing sport sport tour. I want something that's kind of How about how about make the STV4? Yeah. There used to be like the yeah. ST2, ST3. But keep the long suspension so the long uh, travel suspension. Give me something sportier though. Like I want to, I want at least 180 horsepower. Yep. 190 or something. You know, like give me a lot of horsepower, something sporty. But I could do 100 to 200 miles of touring. You know, touring uh-huh. in quotes kind of thing, and make it like a true like adventure sport where it's like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to take this off road. It's going to have 17 inch wheels, but it, like it'll do okay in cities and potholes and light gravel roads if I really really want to. But the idea is that. This is a tarmac breather. It's it's like a more upright, taller street fighter. It's like the super sport, but without the 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 sport bike look to it. Like create kind of like a new segment that's like a hyper adventure sport. Yeah, and put a V four motor in that where I don't care about the the valve things because like that's the hard that's the hard thing that you can't do with the that the Multistrada does so well now. Where it's like, hey, yeah, no, we have long valve intervals. You know, we've really made this so like you can pound miles on this. This this is a true touring bike. You're not yeah. gonna have to worry about your maintenance and all that. I'm like, okay, let's just set that aside for a minute. I don't mind that fifteen thousand mile valve interval. That's gonna cost me like twenty thousand dollars because you're gonna take the bike <laughs> apart, whatever. Because I'm not really doing that because I want to be able to take it to the Pacific to the Pacific Coast, right. which is you know, rip around my favorite a two twisties. hour ride for me, or go up Mount St Helens and back, which is like a four hour ride for me, or right. one of those things, or or just a day's trip, you know, day, go out, bed and breakfast, come back. 
So maybe I've got some luggage on it, but I'm not really sitting there worrying about cross-country touring. I could see that making a lot of sense in a V4, you know, quote-unquote multi-shot. Right, so that's what they do, right? They do the Panigale lineup. They got the Panigale V4, Panigale V4S, Panigale V4R, and the Panigale V4ST. And the Street Fighter. And the Street Fighter. Yeah. I would literally, that would be cool. <sighs> that would be awesome. That would make sense to me. And maybe you call it something else. Maybe call it the V4 Strata. I don't know. I'm bad at that. Don't, don't do that. They'll name it something but like that. But if you do... We we get a taste five five percent five percent. Daddy gets a taste, but that to me makes a lot of sense. And I and I sit there and I look at like Aprilia's lineup. Yeah, with the RC four. Like, why didn't you make a tall version? Like that's ever that's what we wanted the Capra. Excuse me, that's what we wanted the Capanord to be. I would love for the Capanord to be that. That would be such you a know? more exciting thing. Under five hundred pounds V four. Just take the Twano eleven hundred engine, stick it right in there. Same yeah. frame, just longer suspension. That's it. Maybe a different Bigger swing on it, maybe. Yeah, bulkier subframe so I can put a passenger yep. in bags and call it even. Dude. I don't know why that bike doesn't exist. In fact, I saw Miguel Galuzzi today, and I didn't even ask him about it, and I should have. I should have been Is like, listen, town? listen, buddy. No, I'm sure he took off. He tries to get away from me as quick as he can. <laughs> Smartly. Oh, God, it's Smartly. Jensen. I got to go. <laughs> yeah. He's all this guy. Oh, well, no. I don't know why. That's not a... <laughs> Good Maguzzi voice. Galuzzi voice. <laughs> Still sound a little Russian. A little Russian. <laughs> Piaggio Russia. Russia. Piaggio make motorcycle. Bike design jewel, yeah? <laughs> Perestroika. It's not even, <laughs> doesn't even make sense. Doesn't even oh, make man. Bolshevik. I'm going to bring Borscht for the next uh, recording. Oh, good old Borscht. So, um... Moving along, we finally have pricing on the KTM 790 Adventure, sir. <clears throat> Tell me your thoughts. Is it too high? Is it too low? Is it just right? Um, it's it's sorry, it's twelve thousand five hundred for the for the base. But that's the base, and then things get squirrely and go up to three thousand five hundred for the R, or sorry, thirteen thousand five hundred for the R. I think that's priced just right. I think it's priced just right as well. I think it's priced just right. That's kind of what I was hoping it'll be. I was hoping it would be sub 14000 Now, I've seen the comment section where that's the price without bags or or this or that or the other. I don't know. Have, have, have you seen? like what? Do any of the other bikes come with bags in that segment? No. Okay, thank you. Um, does it come with the uh, cruise control? I have no idea. I haven't, I think, seen, the bike. I haven't seen the bike yet. I'm, no I'm, I'm curious because... I think I want to say it does. I think it probably will. Stupid, silly thing to do. To put cruise control on it? Sorry, like it's like a stupid, silly, easy thing to do. Like it's it's software. It's like four lines of code. (laughs) Um, I think it is priced just right. I think that bike is yet another reason why um, uh, Yamaha is in trouble with the T7. Yeah. Now it'll T7 has to be sub ten. If that bike comes out. Or maybe I, like ten five. Ten nine ninety nine. No, 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 no. If you're eleven thousand dollars, you're too high. If you're ten five, I'll give it to you. If but you're ten nine ninety nine with four ninety nine or less, the Yamaha did it right. Ten nine ninety nine with bags, Jensen. It does have cruise control. The KTM Shit. does have cruise control. Um I I am Oh that's a that's a feature add on. Oh that's, uh, such that's so somebody made that comment that's in the comment bullshit. section that you have to pay extra for that. Yeah. Um which is an interesting thing to be a feature add on. I feel like it'd be easier if it just came like KTM that. KTM does this all the, the time. I keep telling them I'm like this is it's like criminal. Like it's a shakedown. We're like, "Hey, dumb. 
I'm literally going to charge you like five hundred dollars to put the thing that I could have put on put earlier. Thumb drive onto your your bike for five Fuck seconds. Sake, change it. It's like selling you Assholes. shoes and charging you extra for the fucking shoelace. What yeah, are you I know, doing? Right. And I'm so excited about that bike. It's not going to take away from my excitement from it. I'm just shaking my head. Like you were that far from being absolutely perfect. You almost nailed it. It's like um, they did nail it. It's just that last that last swing. They hit the wood instead of the nail. Yeah, yeah. That finishing swing. They hit my thumb. Yeah, it wasn't even their own thumb. They hit. Yeah. But all that said, still super excited. I think it's priced pretty well. I think they need to stop fucking around and just put the cruise control on there right in the factory. Stop it. Yeah. Grow stop, up. stop that nonsense. It's like the same thing with the they did it with the Super Duke. They've done this a few bikes. And you just sit there and just like knock it out. Like I know, I know that's just pure cream going to the dealer, and that's fine. Yeah. Daddy likes making a buck. Yeah, but the but dealers don't make that on. much margin on those parts. Come on. Yeah, it's dumb. That's it's baloney. So it was I wonder, like that, I wonder what, if the next it, iteration uh, will just have it on there. It's like the Ducati Multistrada 950. If you bought a, a 17 and an 18 model, you just got this bare bones thing, and then the 19 model comes out and has everything on it already. Yeah, there was Ducati did that with something else, though. What stupid thing did they do? It was the... I want to say it was the Panigale. It was the traction control. Was it the traction control? There was some electronic rider. I'm pretty sure it was the traction control. That must have been a first gen Panigale. No, it was. Oh man, I'm gonna have to look this up. I want to say like they did like an Evo version of something, and it ended up being like a $500 upgrade, and it was just software. Huh. And I was just like, you know what, guys, you should just give that for free. <laughs> you should just give that for free. And they're like, oh, well, it costs money to develop. I'm like, no, no, no. It cost you money to develop for the new model that it came out on. It was like a retro upgrade. Right. Where like middle model refresh got it, but it was just software and you could have upgraded the older one, but it's cost you 500. It's like, yeah, I think that it was their traction. cost got sunk into the middle model up, uh, refresh. Don't charge it for the guys who want to upgrade. Come on. Dick move, bro. Dick move, bro. But, you know, throwing together the different bikes in. In the off-road and on-road middleweight ADV segment. Right. Uh, on the off-road segment, like, I don't know how you make an argument for anything other than the 790 Venture R. It's the cheapest one by well, I mean, almost $1,000. So what else is there out there? You got the it BMW is, F850. But Gene, it's like 60 pounds lighter than everything, everything. else. Yeah. I looked at the, tri the Triumph Tiger 800 XCX, the BMW F850 GS Adventure, and I even threw in a Honda Africa Twin ADV Sports. Oh, wait, that thing's a tank. Looking at the on-road side, like the more road bias side, it's not the cheapest, but it's the second cheapest, and it's still one of the lightest. What's um, the cheapest on that side? The Triumph Tiger 800XR, which is a pretty bare-bones machine. Yeah, and so the other one that the only one that comes kind of close is the Moto Guzzi F85, sorry, F85, V85 TT. Right. Um, that's that new kind of McDonald's looking bike. I like that thing. I'm going to get to go ride that in March. So I'm going to pretty stoked oh, to go see that. Oh, that's exciting. That, that when you throw down the, the numbers is pretty good. Um, but it's still about 50 pounds, 60 pounds heavier than the Yeah, this thing is by all rights a lightweight. So I sit there and just like, I just look like the people that are like, oh, I was expecting it to be cheaper. And like, yeah, the 790 platform is pretty cheap. I was pegging it closer to 11. That might have been pie in the sky. Um, wishing. Yeah. I think they're, they're putting they're putting a lot more technology in it. And I think KTM probably recognizes that that segment is thirsty for something like this. So I don't blame them for making it a little more expensive, but it's still not unreasonably priced compared to its other 
you know, its competitors if, in that exact same segment. If you're complaining about the price of this motorcycle, then you have to be saying motorcycles in general are overpriced because it's undercutting everyone else. Yeah, and you have to wait for that T7 and hope to God it's under 11 grand. I mean, when it comes out at the end of you know, 2020? 2020? <laughs> 2021 in Europe or in the no, US probably. It's a 2021 model year bike, but it's going to come out like November 2020. Cool. The, you know, just in time to miss the entire fucking riding season. Uh, yeah, by that point, Ducati will have a 21-inch front wheel Multistrada, probably. At that point, we'll be flying around in Jetsons hover cars, my, for all I know. My sneakers will finally lace themselves up at that point. <sighs> Y'all, I'll get your shit together. God dang it. But stoked on this KTM pricing. Can't wait to see it. Hope to ride it soon. Looks that is definitely, like, I hope you end up getting a long-term version. Oh, I think I might get a permanent version, if you know what I'm saying. What? What? My next, I, I truthfully, like you talk about bikes, I think about buying. Like, if I definitely want a demo, you know, quote demo one, press launch one. Okay. And and if it looks as good on paper as it does, or if it looks as good in person as it does on paper, Daddy needs a, an adventure mm-hmm. bike. Daddy sure does. So we got a lot of BDR coming up, Jensen. That could be chop, chop. That could be a thing. Uh, that could be a thing. We'll see. And you know, if you get those boxed uh, panniers for it, you can fit a lot of shit in there, unlike that Honda Goldwing downstairs. Oh, Honda Goldwing burn. Because <laughs> you know what I can fit in my panniers on my Multistrada? My extra large helmet, my gloves, my jacket, my pants, my hat, fucking pair of shoes, all together. Yeah, you really can't fit anything in those boxes. Um, Here's another one that's kind of interesting. I thought we talked about this, but maybe not. 8% of U.S. households had a motorcycle in 2018, which is a new record. 8%? 8%. So, like, like doubled. Uh, no. I thought we were, like, at 4%. No, because the last time they did this was in 2014. So, it's, an, it's just a survey that the MIC does. Okay. They do it, like, every four years, every five years, um, every four. So, the last time we did this was 2014, and at that point, it was 6.94% of households. So, it went up basically a percentage point. Okay. 1.1%. Um, which is really interesting because like the thing that's really interesting for me on this is we hear about all this doom and gloom for new bike sales. Yeah. And then you have the MIC basically coming out and saying that there's more motorcycle owners in the U.S. than ever before. Use bikes. And so it's one of the things like I'm a little like, are you sure that's real? Like I'm, I'm like kind of questioning the numbers because there's been some funky, funky numbers from the MIC in the past there there has to be a correlation of of cost of living versus cost you know the the amount of income that people bring in and you know cost of housing and the expensive upswing of vehicles cars motorcycles etc new anyways where you know what's your choice can can you buy something awesome for $5000 new no can you buy something awesome for $5,000 used? Yes. Yeah, that's the thing, right? And that's, I, I, should, I should go back and look at this. Like what the the cost of buying a motorcycle with inflation adjusted for looked like over the course of the years. Because I feel like, motor, I mean, I, I don't feel, I know motorcycles are expensive now. Yeah. Like it's, it's tough. Like you can't really make as good of a, like here's a budget way of getting around from point A to point B. Like, like, take the Honda Super Cub, for example, $3,200 bike. Right. $3,200 gets you a shitbox car, but it gets you a car. Yeah. Like, you can, actually, it's not that bad. You can get a, not a great car, but you can get something that. Well, yeah, you can pick up a 15, 20-year-old Honda Civic that's still yeah. kicking around. That's That's been fairly, it's in fairly good shape. 
not gonna be in great shape, but it's in fairly good shape. Probably mechanically sound. Yep. That's tough, man. That's tough. It is. So I don't know. It, it's tough. But the um. But I think for inner city, and this is, I mean, gosh, I feel like we've we've beaten this horse to death. But you know, for inner city living, something small like a super cub should outsell cars ten to one because. You're taking away congestion on the streets. You're taking away congestion and parking issues. So there is, again, this is a conversation that will go on and on and on forever. Somewhere in somewhere in the powers that be, there's got to be somebody that suddenly realizes, oh, yeah, there's a reason why when you go to Europe or Asia, you see a shit ton of low power, you know, low displacement motorcycles and scooters because they cost less. They have less congestion. They have less pollution and they're easier to park and get around on. So you know, I'm just waiting for the American market to have that aha moment. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know when. Hopefully in our lifetime. I'm curious to see it because that's going to be the thing that saves motorcycling, I think. You know, we're, we're, we have to look at it in that rational way. And a cheap, not cheap, an affordable solution in the news side is going to be the answer. And we have things like the Super Cub that do cost only three grand plus, but... They're very narrow, you know, single-minded in that they have to be in the inner city only because they can only go 45, 50 miles an hour comfortably. Right, right. Yeah, it's, I don't, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about it, but I don't know. It's I don't like, know. I don't know how we get there because, like, if you can't make the Super Cub any cheaper, then, like, how are you going to make anything else cheaper? You can't. And, and I mean, we're we're seeing bikes that are coming out with more and more and more technology, which is cool, but... That technology costs money. And as it is, you know, on the dealership side, the margins are super narrow. So it's not like the dealers are the ones padding their pockets there. I don't know who is. Um, but, I mean, you and I both saw on the on the one show side, there's a lot of little bikes, a lot of old bikes that some young person was able to scrounge up parts and, you know, put a little blood and sweat and time into it and turn into a cool, unique custom motorcycle yeah that's true um so you know we can see that there's this weird swing towards it's not weird it makes sense because of the expense of everything but the swing is going towards these you know old bikes that are cheap to buy and hopefully cheap enough to buy parts for and put together um but there's only a finite amount of them on the street they're going to run out at some point well i think that's i think that's kind of what it is because there's there's this argument that the uh, the pre-recession, the the economic boom, the crazy credit thing that was going on, is part of what is to blame for the current kind of downturn in the industry, because so many bikes were bought, you know, in that 2000 to 2008, mm-hmm. especially 2005 area. Um. And then those people, because of the credit crisis, left motorcycling. Those bikes got dumped onto the used market. So there's just like this over-inventory of yeah. used bikes left over for, because of the recession. They were still kind of like slogging our way through. And so that's like, that was one of those things because the MIC's got all these numbers. And I was going to like tell you some of them to see if like they make sense. Because I have a hard time swallowing it because it kind of goes counter to what I've been feeling in the industry. But maybe if you look at it through this pre- versus post-recession lens, it makes more sense. So like... Okay. The MIC says there's 10.1 million households that have a motorcycle in the garage. Wow. Uh, it says the total number of motorcycle owners has reached uh, 13.1 million. Two million of those is 
two, sorry, 12.2 million of those are, are active and working on the streets. Like there's this like record level of ridership. Yeah. But we don't see that in the sales. We don't see that when we talk to dealers. We don't see that when we talk to some people. And maybe that's because it's just it's this used inventory. Yeah, I think I think this is going to be a a Craigslist uh, type market. Mm-hmm. You know, where people are buying these, like you said, these leftover bikes from from ten plus years ago that are being you know bought for a lot cheaper. That's a it it, it makes sense that. It doesn't the numbers don't correlate between this record number of riders and this decline in in buyership? That decline in in number and sales is all in new bikes because that's yeah. that's the only numbers there anyone's bothering uh, accumulating and, and gathering is new bike sales because it's it's just the easiest one to do. I think used bike sales is very very hard to keep track of because the only place you can keep track of it is a dealership and hoping the dealership is good doing a good job of maintaining that those numbers. But there's a ton being bought and sold in the free market on their own. So the MSC does say that the used market is about three to one to what the new market, the new bike market is. I believe it 100%. So that does kind of make sense where you're sitting there like, okay. And like, that's, I think that's what helped fuel is kind of what we saw in the custom scene. Yeah. The one show where it's just like, you know, there's, there's no shortage of supply of these cheaper, you know, used bikes. And if you're talking about like younger builders who are probably strapped for cash, that's how they're going to do their art, man. The cheaper way. So this is another, you know, another little PSA for my fellow dealers out there. You know, I, I see way too many stories all throughout my Facebook and Instagram, uh, you know, groups. Because a lot of everybody I talk to are in the motorcycling side. And the thing that I'm constantly seeing is, oh, man, I went to a dealership and I didn't buy from them because they didn't give a shit. And it, I can see it, right? When a used bike comes in, the the new bike side of the dealership usually has a lot more staff and a lot more attention being paid to the bikes. And frankly, it could be you could cheat a little bit because the bikes come to you from the factory shiny and new. All you have to do is dust them a little bit. Whereas when you get a used bike and it's it's been used, right? It's sat in the sun a lot. It's gone through rain. It's gone through hell and back. And it requires the dealerships to give those bikes an extra amount of attention, to clean them, to maintain them, to make them look good enough to be bought by the next buyer and if you don't do that if you don't give that that buyer the same experience that the new bike buyer is getting you're missing out on a huge side of it because if the mic is correct and they're selling three to one shame on you for not selling three times as many used bikes as you are new bikes i see a lot of dealers don't even really do the used bike thing they just take it in on trade and they send it to auction and they just take a bath on it i mean that's they're just losing money at this point and it, even if they're not even if they're only making a dollar per motorcycle that's still you retaining a customer who will hopefully buy other accessories because they're going to need them these are used bikes they're going to need parts and so it's short-sighted and if you're doing all the things to retain that person as a customer doing all the customer relationship management that's a future new bike owner yeah if you keep them in the industry long enough they're eventually going to buy a new bike right that could be your sale. I think I think as a dealership, if you're selling 200 motorcycles that are new every year, you should easily be doing five to 600 used bikes a year. Because it's, I mean, it's just happening. It's in the market. It's 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 real black and white numbers. And you, you should partake on this thing and, and really up your numbers on staff when it comes to used bike or make sure your, your salespeople are paying extra attention to those used bikes. Because I get it. I get that your service department's really busy and backed up and blah, 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 blah. But there's no reason not to put your attention there. That, that, I mean, that's three to one is huge, man. I like this quote from the MIC. Our research shows that the average age of a pre-owned motorcycle sold in the U.S. is 
approximately eight years old. How long ago was the recession? Uh, approximately 10 years ago. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Wow, yeah, it really is. You know, it's funny, when I was in the industry then, um, on the Japanese motorcycle side, a lot of the sales were done on credit as they are now, but they were not installment credit, they were revolving credit. You know, like getting a Yamaha card or a Honda card or a Suzuki or a Kawasaki card. And so you got to- explain, explain this more for me. So there's two there's two kinds of loans in, in the banking world. There's an installment loan where you borrow X amount of dollars and you pay it back in a, in a set period of time, the term, whether it's 36 months or 48 months or 60 months. That's, that's pretty typical in the motorcycling side. Five years. Similar to a mortgage. Like puts, a mortgage. Puts money like down, a, but I'm paying you every month. Right. Eventually I own it. You know, with a little bit of interest on it, but I eventually I own it. Revolving loan on the other side is a credit card. If you ever look at a credit card statement, it's going to say, hey, Jensen, you have a $5,000 credit card. You have $3,800 that you've purchased with this credit card. You have an option to pay us off immediately on this thing. You have an option to pay us off a minimum dollar amount on this thing. And then there's whatever in the middle. And they never tell you what's in the middle because they don't really want to. If you pay that whatever's in the middle or the more amount that you should, you're going to pay that credit card off quicker so they're not making money in installment. You're going to pay more principal, not more interest. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but the banks aren't there for that. The banks are there to make money on you. So when you take out a credit card loan, such as buying groceries on your credit card, that's a credit card loan, right? That's not money you have in your pocket. That's you swiping it on a credit card and the credit card company saying, cool, I'm going to loan you $100 for these groceries that you're going to pay me back next month or however long it's going to take. But every credit card, based on how much you've, you owe on them, there's a minimum payment. And it's a, it's a certain percentage. Everyone's a little bit different, but it's a certain percentage. And so like, if you have, say, a, an $8,000 uh, uh, credit card limit and it's maxed out, your minimum payments on that credit card are probably going to be like 250 bucks a month. Can you imagine at 18% APR how long it'll take to pay that off? Never going to pay that Right. Off. So back at, back in the day, the Yamaha, I remember, I'll never forget it. Yamaha used to have this um, this special for the R1s and R6s. It was $99 a month for three years on an R6 and $109 a month for an R1 for three years. Do the math. On an R6 at $99 a month for three years, how much are you paying? 3600 bucks, roughly? How much did you pay for that bike? 12 grand plus interest. So after three years, if you were not a, a smart consumer, and I hate to say it, but half of the consumers were not thinking about it. They just saw that number that the bank said, hey, this is how much you got to pay. They would come back and they would trade these bikes in and they would be so upside down on them. They would go bankrupt over that thing. Yeah. A lot of that happened in the in the, in the the early, mid 2000s. Yeah. That's, and, and then they did the same thing with their house. <laughs> yeah, yep. So- there is a lot, you know, banks have gotten smarter. The whole revolving thing's pretty much gone away at this point because people, I mean, people lost money over this thing and nobody won. And dealerships lost uh, buyers from these things. Nobody won from this thing. The only people that won from this thing were the banks and it was super short-sighted. So now, you know. The, the same banks we bailed out, by the way, just just to throw that Oh, out. man, did we ever? That's a whole other episode. Uh, so I think, I think what's happening now is buyers are becoming a little bit smarter because we have a lot more and our fingertips and, and you know just on our phones as far as information is concerned and banks have become a lot more strict about who they give money to on motorcycles it's super difficult to get a loan on a motorcycle if you've got a credit score of let's say 650 beacon it's almost impossible to buy a motorcycle you can go buy a car right now on that but not not in the US market as far as motorcycles are concerned unless what you're you, what buying would you a say heart. is like the minimum score you need to have to buy a motorcycle mm, 
in theory, is 640. Okay, but you're getting like street rates. Like oh, you're dude, getting you're, like, you're like getting low rates. shark rates. Oh, absolutely. Right? Now, if if like what's a reasonable? What's a like to get a reasonable loan? What what kind of score are you looking at? Six eighty, seven twenty, six eighty and above. So, so here's how it works. Uh, and I don't know if it's changed since I've been in the industry, but uh, a seven forty one is an A plus tier. If you're a seven forty one or above, you're going to get the best rates, no matter what you want to buy. Anything above below that is just dropping, right? So if you're like a 700 to a 740, you're A, and then a 6, uh, 690, 680 to 700, you're like a B, and then you go into the C tier, and then it just goes to shit after that. Um, and, and in the motorcycling world, because these are considered toys in America, the rates on them are a lot higher. So like, for instance, I bought my uh, our, our, our Subaru, and we got 0.99% APR at six years on that thing. My own Ducati, when I worked there, the best rate with my credit, which is an AA a, a plus credit, was 3.99% APR. And that was a special that they were running right then. So, so just, unless you see some sort of like, because you'll see this from like Suzuki or a couple other brands sometimes. I shouldn't single out Suzuki. A lot of brands do this. A lot of brands do it, yeah. They'll do like a 0% APR promotional thing to try and make some bikes oh, move. Yeah. But you're going to have to have probably 740 credit to get yeah, it. Yeah, it'll say it on the tiny little print in the asterisk, yeah. you know, based on approved credit. Yeah. Um, so it can be done. You just kind of have to find a brand or a bike that's kind of hurting for talk it. Talk to the finance manager if you're buying from a dealership. Make them shop for you. What you don't want is a finance manager that's lazy and does what I call a shotgun blast of your credit where they just fucking throw it out into the wind and hope somebody catches it. What that's doing is putting a bunch of tiny little dings on your credit because they're sending it to, say, like five or six banks. A good finance manager will have up-to-date information on what bank is doing what and which bank tends to buy what kind of buyer. And if they see you coming in with your above-average credit but you have decent history and you've got decent down payment, they'll say, oh, such-and-such such bank, maybe this credit union that's local is going to give you the best rate. I'm just going to go straight to them. That's where the dealerships got to get smart, man. And, and a lot of them are. They're hiring finance managers who are savvy with the banks and can are not afraid to call out there and create a Rolodex of you know, a dozen banks that are in their, in their book that they can go to for each kind of bike. I mean, I just bought a dirt, a dirt bike is more expensive to, to, to buy on loan than a street bike. My Alta cost me, I think like five or 6% APR, but it was a much smaller dollar amount. So I didn't care so much, but I'm going to pay it off a lot quicker. And that's the other thing you got to be realistic with yourself. How, how fast can you pay this thing off? If you can pay it off quicker and there's an option to have a much lower interest rate on a on a shorter term and you can afford it, fuck, man, take it. Take it and run. I just read something interesting in the news about how lenders, and I forget if it's car lenders or I think it's house lenders, are getting more creative on how they're qualifying their buyers <laughs> because so many millennials have bad traditional credit because they're so in debt from student loans. Yeah. Maybe it's another vehicle loan. Maybe it's some credit card debt that they're starting to factor in. It's like a new score that's based more on your income, yeah, than rather what your credit score is. Because wow. a lot of these, like a lot of millennials, they go into school and they get the decent jobs and they're pulling, you know, good paying jobs, but their credit's totally in the tank because of all the debt they racked up before they got that job. Yeah, and it's the funny way like the banks are trying to figure out, like, well, how do we, how do we, you know, quantify this new thing? It's not like they're necessarily more risky. They just had more debt to get here. And it's like looking at your income in a weird way. And it's like, 
I'm pretty sure that's what got us in the financial oh, crisis God, in the man. first that's, place, guys. I as, mean, it's not what got us in there, but it, it's a part of it. And you're like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, as soon as finance people start taking these shortcuts and you know start showing people, and unfortunately, a lot of buyers are not either they're not educated about the system or they're they're scared and they walk into that bank knowing that they have bad credit. And as soon as they're offered something obnoxious, they take it because they don't think they're going to have another offer somewhere else. It just, everybody gets tanked at some point. Everybody ends up paying for it as we saw 10 years ago. And hopefully we won't see soon, but I'm starting to watch it kind of happen again. It's kind of becoming a thing. It's, um, I don't know. I'd be curious to see, you know, before the show, Shaheen, you and I were talking about the housing market here in Portland and what it's doing. And there's some, there's some data to suggest that the global market itself is, is slowing down for just the global economy, I should say. Right. Um, I don't know what 2019 holds for motorcycles. 2018 wasn't so great in the U.S., I should say. Um, we got still kind of funky things with tariffs, but not quite as bad as it was last year. But, you know, that's not to say tomorrow we couldn't hear some craziness um, from our government. So, uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see where we, where we land. Um, I do think we need to start thinking a little bit outside the box with it, though. Yeah, and I and I think a lot of a lot of manufacturers are, you know, seems like they're several steps behind. But you have companies like Cake that are sort of thinking into the future, and they're realizing that, you know, hey, we're going to sell you this bike straight to consumer. There's no dealership involved. There's none of that stuff there that you have to go deal with this middle class thing. So um, I'm a little bit scared of that because that means there's are jobs that'll have to go away. Uh, but there's got to be a, a happy medium somewhere there. And, I, and I've said it, and I'll keep saying it until I turn blue in the face. If you're a dealership and you're brick and mortar and you're paying that kind of money to stay in business, fucking make your place a uh, you know, a, a, a destination, a place I want to come to. Make it exciting. Make it where you are the, the, the center for all the information that I'll ever need. Whether you're selling a 10-year-old used bike or a brand-new motorcycle, you should be as excited selling either one of those things so that I keep coming, to, coming back to you. So I'm not looking for ways for a company to start selling to me directly from, you know, from their website. Shaheen, when you and I go on this grand, you know, Goldwing adventure, there should be wherever we decide to stop, wherever we decide to go, there should be a dealership that we want to go visit, that we want to go hang out with. Absolutely. And I truthfully don't think that's even remotely close to the case. Nope. Not even a little. I, I make it a point every time I travel, and I bet you do the same thing. Every time I travel to another city, I make it a point to go to go to the dealership that sells the bike that I like the most. It typically ends up being a Ducati dealership because I want to see what the pulse of that dealer is because I'm part of the club here. And I, more often than not, I walk out of there shaking my head like, are these guys not wanting to be in business? What's what's happening there? I'm I'm to the point in my life where I'm starting to consider becoming a fucking consultant for dealers. And just walking in there like that, what is that cooking show, the F word, where the British guy goes in there and just tears these people apart for making shit food? I just want to walk in there and be like, what the fuck are you doing? What is your point? What is your problem? What is this? What is that? And helping is this, him. Is this a Gordon Ramsay? Yeah, Gordon Ramsay. That's it. I think, a, yeah, he's a fiery little leprechaun, isn't he? Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to come up with like a dealership rating program the way you were coming up with a motorcycle rating program well, earlier. Well, to be fair, Pied Piper does something like that, but they, they break it down by brand overall. Okay. But um, yeah, there's no shortage of, of, of that going on, which is astounding because it's still so bad. And there's no reason for it. These people are paying a lot of money to be in business. We've talked to so many of these dealers and 
the the first thing they tell you about is how big their overhead is. Well, no shit, Sherlock. You've got a whole building and heat and employees and electricity and yeah. everything to pay for. And you're only open one day on the weekend. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm not even saying that they have to be a seven-day-a-week place, but be there when you're there. Whether you're there five days a week or seven days a week, be there and be there 100% and, and promote this lifestyle to everyone that works there for no, you. No, no, no. Shaheen, I 100% think they need to be open seven days a week. That is insane to me that they're not open it's seven retail. days a retail, week. Retail, unfortunately, what, is a seven-day-a-week thing. What other industry, what other business that does retail is closed two days out of the week? Find that, find that business for me. I don't, find know. That, I don't know one. That thing. I don't know one. Specialty places, I guess, that can afford to do it. But even restaurants are becoming a seven-day-a-week thing. It's And it's unfortunately a side effect of capitalism. Well, here, People want to buy stuff, you have to be available for them. You can't complain about Amazon taking your business right. or the web taking your business if you're only open five days a week. Like, okay, I'm sorry, you, don't, you, just, you just don't get allowed to complain about it. Like You're not even willing to be open seven days a week. Amazon's open 24-7. Okay, so here's an idea for for the non-seven-day-a-week motorcycle dealerships. I think that motorcycle dealerships that open from, say, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. are out of their fucking minds. I think if you're a retailer, chances are the people that are buying stuff from you and haven't come in and spend money with you also work day jobs. So why don't you open from, say, I don't know, noon till 8 so that you can actually do some business later on at night. I don't know how many times I've stayed late at the dealership to do a deal because somebody had to come in from work and rush there and kind of, you know, bam, 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 go through the uh, uh, process extra quickly. I, I would bet you if a dealership decided to change their hours and move them up by two hours, shift up by two hours, it would make a huge difference in their days. Yeah. I, I think the whole dealership model needs to be um, put on notice. That's not a popular opinion. I know that's probably just ruffled some feathers, but. We're only saying these things because we love you and we want you to stay in business. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Now bend over and let me spank you. Right? No, that's not. Oh, okay. I don't know. I'm just. Shaheen, the Triumph Daytona 765 is on its way <laughs> soonish. Super excited about that, so I got I got a couple I got a couple little bothans that whispered in my ear over the last oh let's just say the last uh, few days okay um, it sounds like so we we knew that the, the the Daytona wouldn't be a model for the 2019 year but it sounds like they're gonna stick that Moto Two motor in the Daytona as a what Triumph calls factory custom. Whoa. For the 2020 model year, it'll probably debut, let's say, the bike show at ICMA this year or something like that. Okay. Maybe before that. Um, and that'll be like my, this is what I'm not quite sure, but it sounds like that bike will be a track only model, like the Moto 2 bike. Okay. And go for about 20 Gs. Wow. But it'll probably have like, I, I was told K Tech suspension. I'm assuming. Forged aluminum wheels, maybe an exhaust. Yeah, and, I'm sure it'll have a lot of tasty bits on you it. You know the the you know the the fun electronics package, right? And then it sounds like they'll do a full production model, which should be like a full revised version of the Daytona. Okay, for the 2021 model year, a street legal, street legal Euro five compliant. Okay, do the whole thing. So it sounds like they want to ride the coattails of the Moto two program. And then hit the ground running with Euro 5 and have a little extra time to get that that motor ready to go for it. I'm into that. 
I think it could be cool. It could be interesting. We don't really see like this 800 CC ish area of um, of bikes too much. Like, you have a, you have like your Jixer, your Jixer, your Jixer 750 from Suzuki. You've got the uh, F3 800 from yep. MV Gusta. Yep. There could be something like an RC 790 from KTM in there. Uh, Kramer's in there in the mix with a, with their GP2 bike, which will be a 790. It sounds like that's going to come in various trim levels, like a 7, an 800, an 850, and maybe a 900cc version, depending. And that'll be like 20. I think they're going to start around 25. Okay. But these are all are, are these all going to be sort of homologated track use only bikes? The or? Kramer would be the obviously the MV Augusta and the KTM would be street. Okay, um, Jixer's obviously street, but this this Daytona will be track only at first. It sounds like, and then and then production street legal. How funny that Suzuki held out this whole time with yeah, a seven fifty, right? and it just. The OG original Everybody, Superbike. Everybody's gone full circle, you know, the, or they're gone full, full circle and everybody's basically catching up. Now, that being said, these other brands are coming out with some amazingly fun and cool and technologically advanced bikes. So maybe this will be a, a chance for Suzuki to kind of reinvent that Jixer. I was expecting a new Jixer to debut at the shows this year, and it sounds like that's been delayed a little bit. So maybe maybe this will be popping out around the same time, an right. updated Jixer 750 and a 600. So that could be really interesting. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's always been the sweet spot class for like a fun track bike. And I yeah. think that's the pitch. A lot of people have been wondering, you know, it was the same thing with the F3 800. Like you can't race it, but it's the perfect track bike, especially if you don't want a full on super bike that's shredding up tires and, you know, making you slow because you're getting away with horsepower. <laughs> I mean, we used to always say the Jixxer 750 was one of the most perfect bikes because... You know, it had that lightness of the 600, but it had that punch. It weighed like a pound more than right, the 600. It really did. It and, it, and it had that extra punch to it. It was, oh, I've, I've always loved it. Uh, I know it's the, the Jixer is the subject of many motorcycle memes, but I got a lot of love for that bike. So I'm glad it stuck around and I'm excited to see that Triumph is coming out with 765 because I think with them being in Moto2, it's going to probably goad these other brands to kind of hurry the fuck up and do something similar. Yeah, I think, yeah. There might be something here where like it kind of creates like a Moto Two kind of class where it's not super sport, right? It's not super bike. It's Moto Two. It's it's. I think it'll be very popular in the rest of the world. America is always probably going to be like, what's the point? I want something huge. I don't think it'll be as big in numbers, but I look at I look at like the Kramer, especially when we talk about this new 790 platform for the Kramer. It's like there's going to be a market. I don't know where you race it. I don't know what class it races in because it's going to have to race against you know. R6s and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, probably be in the, in the open class. Yeah, it doesn't really like fit in very well. So, but it could be like just a really fun, like, hey, I just want to have a fun time on a bike on a track. I'm not yeah. really worried about racing. Yeah. I think, I think it's the same thing for this Triumph, the 765. Yeah, you're not going to, it's not going to line up on a grid very well. But in terms of, you know, slaying a group, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the Kramer, you have the S model and that costs 17 ish thousand dollars. And the R model is how much? Well, yeah, they, I mean, each year costs a little bit more than the last, and they've been adding kind of things for the value. Now it's like seventeen, but I think my bike was a twenty eighteen model, and I think that was sixteen. Yeah, but the next level up from your bike, the R model, the R model is twenty three. Yeah, so that Triumph is really not bad if you think about the pricing of it. Not at all. That's that's not actually that's super awesome. Compare it to the BMW HP4 race 
Have they called you about that anymore? <laughs> no, but I did hear a dealer. So two interesting things happened. I heard a dealer took uh, sixty on th- sixty thousand on really, one, which sounds like a bath. Yeah, twenty thousand dollar bath, roughly. Um, but we had that one that was on bring a trailer. Yeah, which didn't meet its reserve. Oh, so it didn't sell at thirty eight thousand. But the fact that someone Whoa. didn't come in and bid forty tells me a lot. Wow. Well, I think I think bring a trailer is more car centric anyway. It is. It is. But I had a lot of people emailing me that link when it oh, was man, I when, that, I, when I the auction was you. still active. Yeah. And people were like, "Oh my god, this is going for so cheap." Blah 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 blah. <laughs> and you're like, "Yeah." I I again, I'll say this. I think whoever ends up with one of those bikes is going to have one of the coolest bikes ever. So cool. So so it's funny. Just just to interrupt you for a second. Or actually, go ahead. Finish. No, no, I got a whole thing. You got you had a thing. You're saying? Uh, I'm, I'm, that was it. I just, I just want you to know if you bought okay. it. I know you probably got a little bit hosed, especially if you bought one of the first couple for eighty grand. But hold on to it. It's going to be worth something, even if even if not more than just sentimental value. But because it is truly one of the coolest bikes ever, and much like a lot of bikes that we've seen, you know, not sell very well currently. Later on in life, they become valuable, like those Ducati Super, uh, the Sport Classics, or like the the Suzuki TLR, <laughs> right? Yeah. That bike was bullshit when it was out because nobody really understood it. But then afterwards, everybody wanted one and they started going up in value. Yeah, the, well, so the TLs, it's funny you mentioned the TL. I know the TL very well. Um, so the TLs, yeah, they came out. They were like a ten, eleven thousand $11,000 bike. Then you could get a decent TL for TLR, let's say. Yeah. Or you could probably find one for thirty five at one point in time. That was, that oh, was yeah. a little rough around the edges. Yeah. I'd say closer four forty five, and now they're doing about six. I I'm impressed to watch them go back up. I don't think they're going to go back up much more. No, I mean it's still a used and bike. They might come never, back down again, but right. they're a quirky little they're powerful quirky. bike that you can still get parts for because it's that's a motor that's still being yeah the nine nine six motor. Yeah, it's it's in the V Strom. It's in the SV one thousand. SV one thousand. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of those kind of floating around in various states. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I I'm curious. So, do we know if the dealership north of us sold theirs yet or no? Still there. <laughs> forty thousand dollars. I'm just saying. Uh, I mean, I don't think they're going to take forty, but that's the thing. Like, I think I don't think they take sixty either. I, I think was, it would cost them less money just to hold on to it. I think they just take a bath on it. You know, if it stays there much longer, I think they're going to have a problem. I was going to say though, like you know, we talk about I have to do the brakes on the Kramer. Yeah. So after riding the HP4 race, I mean, like, <laughs> these brakes are phenomenal. Yeah, I bet. That's all I'm like, I just need half those brakes. I mean, what caliber <laughs> is that? What master cylinder? What brake pad? Okay, that's what I'm putting on my fucking Kramer. The, does Market Motor Corsa, doesn't he have an upgrade brake system? Like a, some crazy Brembo upgrade with the master cylinder and everything? On his bike? Yeah. He's got the RCS, yeah. So th- does, is that not something you can slap on yours? That's yeah. a lot of brake. Yeah, well, I just got to figure out what size master cylinder I want because it's a single disc. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk to someone at Brembo about that. <laughs> Brembo, I'm, I'm calling you. We're good. We got to talk. Daddy needs some new shoes. Daddy needs some new stoppers. Um, so very interesting from Triumph. Um, I'm, I'm pretty confident on my Bothans reporting on this one. Um, we'll see. We'll see some interesting things. So we'll definitely see a Triumph Daytona 765. It just kind of comes down to when and in what. That'll be level. super exciting, I think. 
And and that right there is the headline because we've seen some spy photos of the bike on the track in kind of like test mule form, and people have kind of been like hemming and hawing on what that means. And I am very confident in saying that the Daytona 765 will be arriving in the next year or so. I'm excited for that. So stay tuned. Um, bong, bong, bong. Talking about things to stay tuned for. This is, this is a story that's been developing a little bit over the last couple of days. A German appellate court just confirmed um, the uh, patent violation by Alpine Stars with Dionysia. So Dionysia and Alpine Stars have been basically suing each other, mostly Dionysia suing Alpine Stars. Is this the, is this the airbag thing? Over the airbag stuff. And a German court Ooh. just upheld the lower court's ruling that uh, Alpine Stars was infringing on a patent, Whoa. which will affect... Um, so basically, they can't sell their tech air airbag system apparel in Germany right now because of this ruling. And they have to pay Dainese restitution. Now, bear in mind, they can still go through one more level of appeals, and we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. And then there's another patent at issue uh, in Germany as well under appeal. And there's some lawsuits going on in Italy, France, and the UK, I believe. That's kind of a big deal. But it's kind of a big deal. Like, it's... The patents are kind of funny. Like like the one that just got ruled on, um, te- uh, Alpine Stars just released a press release today kind of clarifying things, is actually how the airbag gets held inside the garments. It concerns kind of like the pockets that the airbag goes into huh. in the suit, not ac- the software or the suit firing mechanisms or anything like that. So it's just funny how patent law kind of works. And understanding that it's the pockets, you could, like, I don't think it'll take Alpine Stars too long to figure out a way to secure the airbag in the garment in a way that doesn't infringe. So this feels like something that's just very much going to take like a year or two for them to work around. Right. But it shows like how kind of cutthroat these companies are at each other, you know, fighting over this technology because truthfully, I think it's the future. I think if, you know, 10 years from now, if your jacket or your suit doesn't have an airbag in it, you're going to be looked at like a weirdo. (laughs) You're going to be riding around Daytona with your half lit helmet. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, they're obviously fighting for control of the space and and want to and want to own it outright and I think you know we're seeing the the fruits of that. That's a I think much like any new technology, you know, when when two companies are going at it like this, I'm I'm hoping that in the background the smaller, you know, more affordable companies are just kind of like, well, I'm just going to keep working and making this thing because at some point you two are going to have to be over this lawsuit and we're going to make some sales, so Keep fighting. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Excuse me. We're hitting the wall here. Uh, almost 10.30. We get a little yawny. Um, yeah, I, I, this this is not the last that we've heard of this. No. This uh, is going to keep going on. We've got a few more lawsuits still going through the system, appeals, whatnot. We're going to keep hearing about this. It'll be very interesting. Can't we all just get along? I mean, we're just trying to keep people safe here. Shaheen, I can't remember if we talked about this before. But Zero is teasing a new electric bike. Another? We're well, not talking about the the Street Fighter version, are yeah, we? Yeah, Street Fighter. Oh, yeah. We talked about this before because they kind of put up a goofy little, like, half the top side of the motorcycle photo. Have you have you found something new about it? I mean, there's another teaser. Do you want to talk about it or we should just blow past it? It's <laughs> we have a bad um, habit of pushing Zero aside. Is there is there extra, like extra exciting news about it? Just that we got kind of some uh, 
uh, what, what should I say? Like a little, little more spec. So like, it looks like there's going to be a new motor. Okay. It looks like it's a bigger version, a bigger motor. Okay. Of what of what's kind of already been out there? Um, looks like the battery pack is going to be. Um, uh, they show like a fourteen. 0.4 kilowatt hour battery pack and we know that zero also does like this power pack add-on that makes it like 18 kilowatt hours Woo! we saw that it has a trellis frame we see that it has j1 brakes which are not great um but it does have show of forks which can be quite good um, so we're just getting a little bit more a little bit more teaser info I, i'm kind of over it to be honest because we still have another two weeks as of today's recording it'll be about another week by the time this bike this uh podcast comes out yeah and you're like guys just show it yeah right. they were supposed to say something i thought they were supposed to say something by the 25th 25th of february yeah you're just like guys let's go so by the time this podcast comes out maybe it'll be it'll be a week all right i'll have another week left in there um the 25th is monday so we have we'll have we'll be recording a show i i appreciate that zero is trying to be like check this out and just kind of hiking their skirt up a little bit at a time but guys come on at least do it like, like they're doing it so quietly. They're it's being like, a, like extra coy about the thing they're trying to be quiet about. And it's like, so are you flirting with me or are you tired? I can't tell. It's like a two month teaser. <laughs> this bike taking- better be rad. That's all I'm saying. This bike better be fucking rad because it's really just like the current SR with like a slightly better motor and like a, just a little bit of an aesthetic upgrade. I'm going to be like super poopy about it. But if it's, I've heard a lot of things that it's really, really cool. Right. And so I'm kind of like, I'm trying to like stay positive on it and be like, oh yeah, zero, blow me out of the water. Like like that bike at the one show, you blew me out of the water with that. That was gorgeous, yep. So if it's on that same vein, you got me, you're going to win. You're going to win the Battle of A&R. But uh, I don't know, I'm just, I'm trying to stay positive. Really what are you tough. more annoyed with, zero doing this or Super Tenere 7? Because <laughs> one, you know, man. one you've had in your face, and one is just not even oh, showing. Man, itself. what a Sophie's choice of a question. <laughs> I'm going to the Yamaha noise me more because, to be fair to Zero, they're only going to lead me on for like two months, and Yamaha has been leading me on for like two years, <laughs> right? But I'm going with Zero. Yamaha only took me off their press list once. Where Zero's done it like two or three times. So decisions. Mm. That's tough. No, yeah, definitely Yamaha pisses me off more. Two years is ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Um, um and I wanna I want like truthfully, if Zero crashes, if this bike is a dud, I don't think the company lives for much longer. And then that means that our only pure electric brand dies. And it's an American brand and it's yep. a California brand. Yep. And like that's really bad for the industry. We can't we can't afford to lose Modus, Alta, and Zero. Well, Modus wasn't electric though. No, it wasn't. Oh, just you're talking about American American brand. It just kills like American manufacturing. And before someone says Lightning, like don't even give me. See how he didn't even say EBR. Who? I was waiting for it. I love that EBR likes to pretend like they're still in business. Uh, yeah, go, go, still, go to the, go to their Facebook page. Oh, I've seen. They're like production starting up again. We're making some bikes. I'm like, you guys are probably making two bikes. They should make e-bikes. There's no money there. They're just EBR. taking. They're just taking like leftover parts and putting them together and like pretending like the company's viable <laughs> and doing stuff. And you're like, if they did electric, they wouldn't have to really rebrand it. It'd still be EBR, just be electric EBR. Buell, or electric Buell racing. Electric Buell racing. It'd work. 
no, they don't have enough money for that nonsense. No. Um, um, I want to finish with this. This is this is something that made me laugh. I shared it with you earlier. We're gonna do it really quickly. We're only giving this couple of minutes, okay. so you gotta be quick on your feet. So Tony said, "I have a question. If you guys had fifteen hundred dollars each, you had to buy the motorcycle and enough money left over for a trip. There's no time restriction, so it could be a one day trip or a ten day trip." Where would you go and what bike would you each uh, buy? I figured it would be a fun uh, subtopic. I agree. I think it'd be kind of fun. So 1500 bucks. You either buy a bike and just go on a quick day trip or or you can buy you can buy anything. I'd find a uh uh like an old like Honda CBR 600 F2 F3. Whoa. Smoking and, Joe edition and like yeah, smoking. Uh, that, that's going to cost a little more than that's than purple, what I plan. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking for like a fourteen hundred dollar bike, and then about a hundred dollars of LSD, and I think that'd be a really good trip. Holy shit, I'm with Hey-o, you. That would it? be amazing. The best trip ever. Best trip ever. Yeah. No. I, um. Seriously, I would probably just buy like a dirt bike. I'd probably find some enduro that that can be plated. That's in semi working order, good, you know, fairly good shape. Like an old 250 or something? Yeah, something. Yeah, I'm maybe, with you on that. Maybe, yeah, some four stroke Honda or, you know, Japanese bike that's not going to like blow up in parts are easy to find. I don't know. Whatever Craigslist has for me on that. I bet you can find a and ton. Then, and then go on a pretty bitchin', you know, woods enduro ride that's not really going to cost me a lot of money because I'm going to be camping and yeah, you already got the camping gear. Filling up with gas. So it's really just going to cost me gas on like a 250, which isn't going to be too bad. Which that's at that point, if you're just doing that trip, we could spend up to like 1300 bucks on the bike yeah exactly. i still have 200 dollars exactly. left over for like some fuel fuel and food and water and, and for like four dollars in springs and washers that i'm going to need to like put the thing back together just honestly all you would need is like extra tubes yeah. whatever tires that thing's going to have on nah, it's going to be that's shit part of the adventure <laughs> flat tires happen especially on this bike all yeah. right so the answer is i think we both agree on it some some old 250 enduro that's got a plate on it hopefully and maybe the lights work and we can go and camp out in our favorite pacific northwest spot yeah because camping spot's going to cost maybe 10 15 bucks for the both of us and then food and firewood and get to talk about it yeah i think that's money well spent and and what do you see you know kind of like the the hipster movement gravitating towards like there's this this gravitation towards like the dirt bike scene to the yeah. flat track scene and you see it in the one show there's there's no shortage of dirt bikes there no and i think it's because it's so affordable because you can do a fifteen hundred dollars kind of offering there and be like hey i can get on this thing that's relatively cheap and go have pretty rad experiences and and like outdoors adventuring kind of stuff is very much a part of the uh millennial zeitgeist yeah it really so. is Get out and reconnect with that their world because you're working 80 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got anything else? Nah. Nah. We can talk about it next time. We blew through some topics. I'm exhausted. We literally, so like, again, we, we've been doing, we did two shows back-to-back recording-wise. You're going to see them a week apart. So you got here at 5. It is now 10.30. Yeah, buddy. You said we're going to have five hours of recording. We were on it. We ate Boom. for half an we, hour. We ate for half an hour. Yeah. yeah. Boom. I drank three glasses of whiskey. And you're sober. I'm sober as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I need stronger whiskey. Oh, my goodness. I have been capping it off of water without you knowing it. That's what you get for leaving well, it. Some, well, one of the other listeners wanted me to talk about the whiskeys I, I drink. I, I'm going to turn this around on them. You tell me what's a good bottle of whiskey for me to buy under 40 bucks to try, and I will go and buy it. I don't mean you, Jensen. I mean the list. No, I'm going to get a Mountain Dew. I'm fine. You're like, uh, I don't know, a vintage Mountain Dew with a green bottle? Uh, just, you know. <laughs> I don't know. 
Ah. All right, yeah. So, listener, if you uh, if you're listening, tell me what uh, what's a good bourbon to drink, or even a rye whiskey, uh, under forty five bucks, something different. Don't tell me bullet. I already got that right here next to me, and uh, I'll let you know what I think. All right, sir. Well, you know what you should do with that. Be careful. Be super careful, but not too careful because safety third. Good talk. I'll see you out there. Bye. (laughs) 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 Fucking wacko. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kitty. Cody, you keep me young. Keep me young.